0: for sure before she speaks lord thank you for sure thank you for her willingness to serve and to speak to us this morning we pray that your holy spirit will speak through her the message that you want us to hear it won't be her words but it'll be yours and lord i pray that for each of us we will open our ears and open our hearts to receive what you have to speak to us in jesus name amen My goodness, what a powerful morning we've already had. I'm just really struck by every person, including Emily and Grace, that have held this microphone and just the power of God, the anointing of God on each and every one of you. Um, so thank you for everyone that has spoken already and thank you, God, for speaking to us. So I'm gonna, um, I want to share with you some teaching um, that actually impacted me quite a lot when I was in Vienna. And um, it just really rested on me. And I think actually what we've been singing and what we've been thinking on today does all come um, together in this. So, um, yeah, it's a familiar passage um, that I want to share with you. Luke 10, 1 to 11. I'm going to read it from the message just to catch you off guard because you'll know it so well. Um, so it is this. Later, the master selected 70 and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he intended to go. He gave them this charge. What a huge harvest and how few the harvest hands. So on your knees, ask the God of the harvest to send his harvest hands. On your way, on your way, but be careful. This is hazardous work. You're like lambs in a wolf pack. Travel light: comb and toothbrush and no extra luggage, Grace." Don't loiter and make small talk with everyone you meet along the way. When you enter a home, greet the family. Peace. If your greeting is received, then it's a good place to stay. But if it's not received, take it back and get out. Don't impose yourself. Stay at one home, taking your meals there. For a worker deserves three square meals. Don't move from house to house looking for the best cook in the town. Speaking to us, proximity. When you enter a town and are received, eat what they set before you, heal anyone who is sick, and tell them God's kingdom is right on your doorstep. When you enter a town and are not received, go out into the streets and say, the only thing we get from you is the dirt on your feet, and we're giving it back. Did you have any idea that God's kingdom was right on your doorstep? So, yeah, as I say, this was a passage that was read um, in one of the talks I attended, and it was led by Drew and Mary Cordwell. So, for those of you that will recognise those names, they are a couple that have served in the Middle East most of their married lives. They learnt, they're from America, learn Arabic, um, and they've been in Lebanon for many years. Obviously, now it's more dangerous than ever, so they were due to come to the conference but they made the decision very last minute that they couldn't come because they didn't know whether they could return back to Lebanon. It was so volatile, the borders there. So they um, zoomed in for this talk. Um, and they, they, this, this teaching was really phenomenal. And their insight to these familiar verses were, for me, a bit of a paradigm shift. And so I wanted to share it with you too. And as I've since dwelled in these teachings from Jesus, I felt challenged and moved and stirred by them again and again there are some pretty clear instructions that Jesus gives his disciples. In the NIV, it says this, ask, go, say, stay, heal, tell, say, wipe. Not wipe your bottom. Wipe. But I just want to summarise in these um, four. Ask, go, stay, shake. Okay? So, just remember those. You can do the dance if you want when you go home and talk about it around the table. Johnny girls. Um, Okay, so... On Friday, I hosted um, a lunch with the Stanford and Corringham leaders. We had some leek and potato soup, and actually, it was quite warm up in Dry Street, so that was good. And I took the opportunity to get the leaders to share about what was God was doing in their churches and in our town. And it was really remarkable what people were saying. There really does seem to be a call of God on every church to greater intimacy, which is awesome. Um, They also shared that doors were wide open um, in an opportunity of plenty for mission, reflecting that actually there's lots of need and that the projects... um, and people are interacting with projects um, with the most vulnerable in the area. However, the tension in the room was that there was a chasm between opportunity and workers to step into that space. And I think this is a tension that we've all felt, haven't you? And you've probably often found refuge in these verses. Um, and the teachings of Jesus, perhaps he, he also felt pressure and tension too. Can we take from this then, it's just always meant to be that, that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few? I don't think so. And this was not the paradigm shift that I experienced in Vienna. In Matthew nine thirty six thirty seven, 37, this is the next slide, it will come through, um, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The heart of God is to seek and search for the lost. In Romans 5.8, we hear that whilst we were still sinners, when we were lost, broken, blinded, cold-hearted towards God, he died for us. He died for the harvest field. Jesus gave his life that we might have life Luke 10, then, is first and foremost teachings that are steeped and saturated in love. So let's linger in that for a second. Just reflect on God's love for you. Imagine Jesus' heart towards you today. Looking out over this crowd, he's moved with compassion over you. He sees you. He loves you. He chooses you. He gave it all for you. And not only you. He casts his gaze towards our streets, our families, our friends, strangers in the supermarkets, our colleagues at work. He longs for them. He seeks them out. He searches for them. And this was the beginning of my unravelling. When we say the harvest field, we mean people, right? These teachings and instructions are born out of a heart that is broken for people, for children that don't know their father. They haven't found their true identity as sons and daughters, and therefore they're giving themselves to things that will fade and perish. They are lost, and worst of all, maybe they don't even know it yet. So what's Jesus' response to the harvest field? Well, he plows his disciples to ask. Why ask? Why ask for workers in the message, Harvest Hands? In asking God, it awakens us, our spirits, our hearts, our eyes to the need. If you feel a bit numb today, if you feel overwhelmed today, if you feel unworthy to be used by God today, ask him to send workers to the harvest field. It's the most simple and profound thing that you might do today. And in our asking our experience of the harvest changes. Where do you think these workers are going to come from? We've probably always read it about, from the church. Jesus is talking to 72 disciples, but he's looking out over a city. This is a prayer of movement. This is a prayer of disciples who make disciples This isn't as Pete Gregg would say, clench your bum and pray really hard that a whole army of people appear. No, this is a prayer for multiplication. What if the harvest looks like sons and daughters being raised up within the harvest to serve God and lay their lives down for him? Does your faith extend to leaders within this community transformed by the gospel again and again and again, wave after wave after wave. Thirdly, this prayer releases us. This isn't on us. This is a prayer to ask God to send workers into his harvest field. He sends the workers, it's his field. Finally, this prayer readies us. In 24-7, we have a tagline, pray like it all depends on God and live like it all depends on you. That when we pray, we shouldn't be surprised that God would use us as the answer to those prayers. That as we ask and as we seek, we shouldn't be surprised that God would give us his heart, stir our spirits and move us in a way that can only be him. So if you take nothing else from today, take this, ask God to send workers into his harvest field each and every day, maybe even for the rest of the year and be prepared. Secondly, he says, Go. In our going, we are to enter houses and to speak peace. Jesus was speaking to a particular people, the Jews, with a particular cultural emphasis on hospitality. So I would suggest that God isn't necessarily asking us all now to go and knock on doors of every house in our street, although he might be calling some of you, and God bless you. Um, Rather, I would propose that this knocking would look like opportunities in our everyday Knocking on doors, and I'll return to doors. But when we are with people in the harvest, his harvest, we are to speak peace. This is not a flimsy, glib, or irrelevant verse. This is a declaration to spiritual authorities that henceforth, this place, these people, this encounter will be blessed. Peace be with you. That they will receive the peace of God. We are to bring God's peace and blessing to individuals. And I love that that's so core to our proximity story. It's our heart to bless, to bring peace, to be peace. It's the very aroma of Christ, who conquered all and is over all. His presence in us is peace to this world. You will know that peace is shalom in Hebrew, which for me has always meant wholeness in every sense. Whole bodies, whole minds, whole relationships. But I discovered something more as I kind of delve deep into that. So if you look at the next one, um, Shalom. In Hebrew, words are built on roots, generally three consonants. When the root consonants appear with various vowels and additional levels, a variety of words, often with some relation in meaning, can be formed. So from the word Shalom, we can glean peace and well-being. That's what we know. But we can also glean it was worth it. We can also glean what's paid for, paid in advance, perfect, whole. When we declare peace, we declare these things. Our wholeness, the wholeness of the harvest. Each person, every individual will receive this peace. Their wholeness is worth it. It's been paid for by Jesus in advance. So when we declare, when we pray, when we speak peace, this is the true weight of that meaning. And this is the heart we are to go into the harvest with, to be peacemakers, wholeness bringers, declaring Jesus has paid it all and you are so worth is this, Isn't this an extravagant, compelling, beautiful narrative to bring? Why don't we do it? What stops us? What holds us back? I'm speaking to myself as I say this. And in their going, Jesus sends his workers out, lacking. Not lacking in authority of the Spirit, but lacking in terms of clothes, food, and shelter. They are sent to receive. Isn't that a paradox? This isn't an invitation to the harvest field to come and join us. Come to our thing on our terms but rather to go into the community, to go into homes, taking residence in people's hearts and lives and being beneficiaries of their hospitality. You will know that I spent two years in, a, in Reading managing a community cafe. This was my story. A young girl with not much to offer, making pretty terrible food and hopefully much better coffee, trying her best to reach an impoverished community. What was the breakthrough for me? When one of the most hostile visitors in the cafe invited me around her house for Sunday dinner. This lady was called Sarah. She was probably my age now when I first met her. She was riddled with excruciating pain. Sorry, I looked up. Wrought by gripping depression and was wounded from a life of abuse. Sarah was not happy to see me, but I was happy to see her. Out of everyone who came to the cafe, it was Sarah for some reason that I felt drawn to. I would pray for her, and maybe it was the challenge of being perceived to be not liked or not trusted, but I think it was God giving me his heart for Sarah. God let me see her, really see her. And so we had many short conversations. People that have done mentoring in Chaplaincy would know this well. But slowly, slowly, Sarah began not just by hanging out by the door of the cafe, but coming into it. Not just standing in the cafe, but sitting down in the cafe. Not just giving me one-word answers, but having a conversation. And then, the moment that changed everything. She knew that I liked a Sunday dinner, and I hadn't had one for a while. And she invited me to go to her home. From this point on, Sarah, her family, her extended family, her neighbours, her friends became regular frequenters in the cafe. We started an alpha course. We had prayer nights, worship nights. Sarah visited the prayer room in Guildford and had the most incredible encounter with God. Next slide, please. Colossians 4.3 says this, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in change. Paul asked for open doors. I told you we'd come back to doors. He prayed that we would be able to receive hospitality, the permission and invitation to proclaim Jesus. Sarah literally opened the door to me. I just had the absolute privilege of walking through it. Jesus asked his disciples to position themselves with people in order to receive. I position myself in this place for this particular time. Note the challenge. Are you positioning yourself to receive hospitality from the harvest, from individuals? Who are you being and whom have you been sent to? Maybe right now you aren't positioned and that's okay. If you don't feel you are, pray for the harvest. Maybe you feel Maybe you do feel that you've been sent to a particular person or position, but you haven't seen doors open yet. Pray. And maybe you feel like you once were, but now you aren't so sure. Pray. So Jesus says, ask. He says, go. And he says, stay. Stay with one household. Don't go from home to home. This is so important. And I think it is what we do as Proximity Well. We go after the one. And we stay with them. Drew Caldwell will say this. In this passage, Jesus is inviting us to choose our future family. Our future family. I love that. And don't we see that in some of the storylines of people in our collective story? That's the way we are being encouraged to see this harvest. Not as how many we can get saved. Not as how many people we can serve. Not as numbers in any sense. But family. Family. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, uncles, aunts, grandparents. This is the life on life stuff. We receive hospitality, we share hospitality. We receive people and they receive us. Jesus' strategy for mission and discipleship was a deep investment in relationships. Staying with one person, one family in the harvest. And as Mary Cordwell would say, Let them be the lighthouses to the community. Just like Sarah became in Reading, her transformation, her invitation, carried far more weight than mine. Jesus wants us to fellowship deeply and transformationally. So let's just take a moment to let that point sink in. What if our mission as individual uh, members of proximity look like each one of us opening our lives to one person or one family group, to really, really go after them like Jesus went after us, to love and make space for them in our lives. And as I just say that, I just want to ask you in your hearts, who springs to mind? Who is God inviting you to see as future family? And if no one does, that's okay. This isn't judgment because Jesus simply says, ask, ask. And when we stay in the home, what does Jesus say? He says, heal the sick and proclaim that the kingdom is near. Jesus is coming to prepare the way for the king of kings. He sent out the 72 ahead of him, but he was coming. Like John the Baptist, they would prepare the way for the arrival of the king. That's the privileged position we get in the harvest. We get to point to Jesus and say he's coming by healing the sick and declaring that the kingdom is near. I heard it said that Jesus' ministry can be summed up in two words, meals and miracles. We are to expect, pray for, anticipate miracles in the harvest. How does that make you feel? I know for some of us, we hear that and we're like, yeah, come on. I know for other of us, that will make us feel hesitant. We're thinking, what if God doesn't want to do that? What if I make people feel uncomfortable? What if people just think I'm treating them like a project and this was my hidden agenda all along? This is where I think Jesus shows us his wisdom. Before the healings, before the gospel, Jesus asks us to stay with people build relationships deep relationships and it's from this place we're given the authority of beckoning in god's kingdom in people's lives Pete Wood, i just um want to tell this story on, on monday night we prayed for Benger at the prayer room in dry street and it was a really really powerful time like like this morning has been now normally in those sorts of prayer times oh I'll, I'll be honest If I'm leading it, i would be thinking, right, how can I set the scene? What song am I going to put on? What verse is going to, you know, raise people's faith? Well, before I'd even got the Bluetooth working, Pete got something in his pocket and he pulled it out and it was a mustard seed. And he said, I don't have much faith, but I have faith as big as this. And with this mustard seed, I can say to Benga, be healed in Jesus' name. I can see mountains move. This is the kind of faith that God asks us in the harvest field. Heal the sick, he says. I haven't got that faith for that. If it's as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains, guys. That's the shalom we're asking God to bring. We make ourselves vulnerable when we say, can I pray for you? You remember that Joe Gisby said in this year that this this will be a year of breakthrough and open doors. Doors to people's lives and the breaking in of God's kingdom. And that's what I'm believing for. Let's not be shy in saying to people, I'm going to pray for you. Let's not be shy in expecting and anticipating miracles in people's lives. And if it doesn't happen straight away, let's keep pressing God and requesting it because he's told us to do it. Paul said this, My message and my preaching were not wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We don't have to have persuasive words. We just have to ask the spirit to move. So let's pray for a miraculous demonstration of God's power. And let's expect it. Let's not be fearful. Let's not be hesitant. Let's be bold in the harvest. And as I say, I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. And what's the final thing? Shake. To wipe the dust off. Shake it off. This is such an important message to hear in a world that's driven by results. Even in the church world, driven by results. How many numbers, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. We are repulsed by failure as a society. Sometimes these things bear a cost. They hurt us. We've given, we've poured ourselves out, and for what? There's nothing to show for it at the end of the day. That's hard. People let us down, things don't always go to plan. Jesus expected us all to experience rejection, disappointment, closed doors. Hear that? You will have doors closed in your face. And what is our response? To shake it off. In fact, why not, let's just turn that all on its head. We celebrate the fact that we even tried. We felt like we heard God, we were obedient, and it didn't work out. Hooray. Isn't it all worship to God all the same? And the results are his anyway. Who defines the success here? We sow bountifully. We might not be the ones who get to reap bountifully, but we sow all the same. We must let ourselves grieve failure. We own that part of our story, God's story in us. We give all those feelings to God, but we don't let it point to disappointment or disillusionment. Let's expect things to go wrong. Let's do the process of grief, but let's not let it hold us back from going again and again. This thing, the harvest we are sent out to, the people who God wants us to build family with, they're too important to hold back. And let's remember that story of the sower. Only 25% go on to bear fruit. The one, <clears throat> imagine that as a business pitch. We only expect 25% yield, but that's the upside-down kingdom we are part of. So let's not be discouraged or let your heart go cold. Let's continue to sow, give ourselves and our lives bountifully. So Jesus asks us to ask, to go, to stay, to shake. Jesus's heart is full of compassion full of love. He is in anguish for his people. They are lost like sheep without a shepherd. Next verse, please. Similarly, Paul in Romans 9.3 says this, I feel such great sorrow and heartache for you that never leaves me. God knows these deep feelings within me as I long for you to come to faith in the anointed one. Can you feel Paul's burden here? The pain he feels His tender heart that is compelled, it's his tender heart that's compelled me more than anything. In Vienna, we heard so much about travailing prayer, sowing in tears. This is a painful mission because it's a mission of the heart. It's a mission, and lives count on it. The challenge for me is this am i willing for god to break my heart once again and maybe this is just me but when you've done it before again and again and you've already paid and counted the cost of life on life discipleship this going deep and transformationally that prayer doesn't quite come as easily personally as i've reflected on these teachings and how they apply to my life there are two people that come to mind two people. That I am gonna go after, like God went after me. Two people that I'm asking God to break my heart for and travail for. And then I'm struck by a thought what if each one of us choose to give ourselves, staying with one individual, one household, one open door? Surely in a year, when we all double in size. And I'm not interested in numbers. I'm interested in the harvest field. Lies being won for Jesus. More so now than ever before. This place needs Jesus. He is coming. His kingdom is at hand. It will break in and they don't know it yet. In this season where we feel called to seek the face of God as a community... A time where we have been given words about open doors and breakthrough. I feel the call to pray to Jesus to send workers more than ever before. Lies depend on it. It's vital. There's no time like now for God to raise up a whole generation of believers from within this community, men and women of peace, leaders, champions of the gospel. That's how a harvest is won. So I leave this challenge with you. Who is God calling you to see as your future family? Who will be the lighthouses for this community? Let's pray for Jesus to send out his workers into the harvest. And let's expectantly wait for his answer. Can I ask you to stand? We've heard a lot this morning and I'm sure much more than what I've just said has spoken to you, but I just want you to ask now in your heart for people. Ask God to show you his love for the harvest field. There are multitudes, but God is calling us to individuals. Who is God asking and inviting you to build family with And if you can't think of anyone, that's okay. Let's just ask God for workers for this harvest. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We get to be a part of that. So God, we just open our our hands to you now. And Jesus, we ask you to send workers into your harvest field. Jesus, we think of people that come to mind that don't know you, that don't know your love, that don't know that you seek and search them out, that don't know yet that they're lost, but you are the shepherd that will find them and bring them home. Jesus, we pray for our future family. We pray that our tables would be meals and miracles. We pray for your kingdom to break out. God, I pray for faith as small as a mustard seed for each and every one of us, God, that we would see healings, that we would proclaim your gospel, that you, God, would help us to build deep relationships with people. Love, God, like you've loved us. Help us to love like you loved us. Holy Spirit, we, hit, we are here and we know that you're moving. Come rest on us.